Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm glad you're here today. I am the proactive caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering you, the caregiver. Because if you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. Part of that self-care for me is also researching and understanding hospice. So today, I want to talk to you about challenges you might face as a caregiver when researching hospice. The reason I bring this forward is because when my dad passed from pneumonia a couple years ago, it was his third and final battle. We were shocked because twice before he did fine with treatment. Once he was admitted to the hospital, we kept high hopes as we did before. But now that I've learned more about mom's stages and where she's continuing to head towards, I can't help but to think back to those final weeks that dad had. He started out in a veteran's hospital, was later transferred to a public hospital, simply because the veteran's hospital at the time, their IC unit was under construction. So he was transferred safely and his care was continued. It continued for three more weeks until we were finally told that he was terminal. Quite literally, the day that we decided to begin comfort care. There was no mention of hospice services or bereavement counseling. None of that was offered to our family, which is required to begin before the patient's death at the very least. It never occurred to me to ask, what were our options at that time? Because we were hanging on to every single detail from every update from the doctors as they came morning after morning to give us their updates and bring their medical interns by as well. So now I come back to reality, and now mom's journey is heading in that direction. 
we're going down that unfamiliar path because as much as I've learned to this date, I'm continuing to learn more as a caregiver as mom now faces kidney failure. Definitely far into stage six, adapting and understanding what I need to know on a day-to-day -day basis when it comes to kidney failure. So now it really has come to mind that hospice services are going to be necessary. And I kept wondering, when do I make that call? When do I have the services brought in? But thankfully, I had some others remind me and why I want to remind you. Hospice is still, to this day, misunderstood. It is not the final 24, 48-hour, 72-hour call-in. It's not the hospital bed with oxygen and morphine only. Yes, you may have that experience for your loved one or witness that, but that's not all it is. So knowing this, I took it upon myself to contact some friends and family to ask, what were the services you used? What did you experience? What were your thoughts? What were the results? How would you feel about recommending them? Would you use them again in the future if you had to for another loved one? And the interesting thing was those who had used the hospice services before were far more positive about the services having experienced it than those who had no idea because their idea is still, oh, it's just death is imminent. Not the wonderful benefits they have. Looking back, I did an episode two years ago explaining what hospice actually is and the services they provide. And one of the things that I had forgotten since then was they offer counseling services for not just the patient, but for the family. And those are extremely important benefits. When you're already struggling to come to terms with your loved one that is in fact dying, and what kind of feelings and thoughts and all the decisions because the decisions never stop needing to be made. But how you feel about them now in these final moments. The counseling and even for some people speaking to uh, the hospice chaplain, for example, was a huge benefit for me. This is one area that one day I was with mom and we were talking about life in general and where she was at. It was my typical check-in status. Let's get a reality check, see where you're at. And once mom decided after going to a cardiologist appointment that life was good, I mentioned one more time. So mom, do you know what dialysis is? Because at this point, it's, I feel like I'm witnessing split personalities. Sometimes she is the older um, young adult, and sometimes she's the sassy teenager, and sometimes she's the innocent little five-year-old. And so I asked if she understood what dialysis is. And I got a very mature face and response of yes. 
I asked her again if she needed dialysis, would she agree to have dialysis? She shook her head and said, absolutely not. Obviously, that was heavy on my heart right away because for me, I'm still wanting to fight for life, fight with her, for her to fight for life, and still slowly coming to that level of acceptance that I'm not fighting for her life anymore. I'm fighting for her to have quality of life. And so when she agreed at this point, that if and when she gets to the point that she needs dialysis, she is going to refuse it. She doesn't want it. Hospice will obviously have to be present because there are other details that I'm not going to go into. And those of you who have experienced your loved one in kidney failure, you know where I'm coming from. But at that point, absolute medical assistance needs to be in place. I felt it was better to get hospice started sooner than later. I wanted her to have the opportunity to benefit from the services as long as possible and adapt to new people coming to her room or being in her space. I was able to finally get her dental cleaning done the other day. And when I woke her up to say, You're, it's time for your cleaning, um, she woke in a fright and jerked around the room and there were these all these individuals and who are these people and why are they here and why are they in my room? What are they going to do? And they were there just to take x-rays and do a cleaning and go on about their business. It was probably a 30-minute appointment at most in the comfort of her own apartment. But that showed me that she needed time. She needed time to be able to adapt to new faces for new reasons being in her space. I wanted to respect that as much as possible. When I started to look into this and getting feedback from friends and family, services that they've used, I took note of every single one of the hospice services they mentioned and started to slowly call them one at a time. I called one service that was shocking because before I even went into any details about mom, just saying that she had kidney failure and she is going to need hospice service, their immediate reaction was, what is her social security number and Medicare number? They went straight to the business part of it. That didn't sit well with me. So I ended that conversation and went to the next one. Another conversation that was interesting that it sounded more and felt more of like a sales pitch than a warm welcome. Then I got to another one. And it was the best experience I could have said on any given day of what I could have ever expected. This individual was so warm and welcome but took the time to educate me. She went through all of the details of the services that hospice provides, what hospice is, and things that I may need to keep in mind as I go through the process, and reassuring every bit of the way that not only would she be available to me, but that I would have access for counseling and the chaplain, and 
the nurses to give feedback and that I wouldn't feel like I was taken out of the loop towards the end. So I immediately realized this is the company I'm going to pursue. They took the time to educate me, not give me a sales pitch, not ask for confidential information before they even knew much about the patient or even what our wishes were. So one of the things I assumed was making that choice with hospice. It was going to be something that was easy, that all I had to do was make a couple of phone calls and make that decision, okay? Not this one, not this one, this one. This is the golden ticket. All I had to do was call and say, I wanna hire you. My mom needs hospice services. It's a little bit more difficult than that, or at least a little bit more complicated than that. Um, yes, that is what gets the ball rolling, but what I didn't realize was you have to have a doctor provide an order for hospice. And even though you have to have a doctor that does the official order for hospice, you don't have to wait for a doctor to say, my loved one is wanting this service or needing this service, or my loved one is terminally ill and we want to find out if they qualify because that's part of it. We also have to see if our loved ones qualify for the service. It is not a straightforward, guaranteed service to receive. You do have to qualify for it. With mom being in this stage three of kidney failure, congestive heart failure, mixed dementia, she basically qualified. So why not? Why not have her receive benefits that are already going to be paid through Medicare because she did work for definitely more than 10 years and her benefits are just sitting there waiting. I didn't want to wait for a doctor to decide for that last moment as they did with dad. We went from being told at 9 a.m. with dad on the day he passed that he is terminal and we started comfort care at that point. But that kind of comfort care was for a terminal patient and he had passed and took his last breath that night. We had so much more time the previous weeks where we could have had the hospice services. But the underbelly that I was speaking of is that doctors are not going to give that order because doctors don't understand all the benefits of hospice. Unfortunately, so many of us has the word hospice equals death or hospice and end of life, bad, negative, just because how you see and how you feel about death and dying may taint that idea of what hospice is trying to provide to you. Doctors don't have the full understanding of all the benefits of hospice, and they're not going to give you that order. Majority of them will not give you that order. Try not to be all-inclusive, because from what I understood and what we experienced is that doctor once they sign the order for hospice, is losing a billable patient. That's the business side of it. There's some doctors 
who understand it, who are extremely compassionate, who will tell you far in advance, you might want to consider this. You might want to start looking into these things. You might want to go in this direction. And oh, by the way, here are three choices. That's yet another area that is part of this underbelly. Because according to the federal law, as listed under the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, there is a patient bill of rights. And part of that bill of rights is the right for the patient to choose their care providers. A doctor may provide feedback and give recommendations for hospice services, but most provide, must provide at least three options, at least three options. They can easily say, my favorite is this one, but there's also this one and this one that you can consider. If you don't already know of any you know, family members or friends that have gone through this situation, so if you don't have a background to pull from, but they're not allowed to tell you what they want your choice to be. They cannot sit there and say, I will sign your hospice order if you go with this hospice service, the one we recommend. That in itself is against the law. It removes your patient choice and is absolutely in violation of your patient rights. So keep that in mind when it comes to choosing a hospice service. You have the choice with doctors, hospitals, and any assisted living community. You as the patient have the right. If you're the medical power of attorney and your loved one is not able to be part of this decision and make the choice with you, you still have the right to make that choice. And once you do make that choice, you're not stuck with the company you choose. Because if you by chance go with a recommendation and you're not happy with them later, well, guess what? You just go to the next one on your list or you find someone else. You just explain to them, you want the services to stop and I'm starting with this other one. I will recommend that before you stop hospice services at that point in time, you contact the other company that you've decided to go with in its place, have them set up everything that needs to be set up, sign all documentation that needs to be signed so that they, if it's a matter of setting up a home, for example, or the person's bedroom in their community by chance, that they have a chance to come in and make this transition as seamless as possible. Because one of the concerns I had was what if I choose this company? What if I choose the wrong company? Because there are several, and I'm talking hundreds of hospice companies that are in our area. So how do I choose one? And maybe even possibly have a backup if need be, knowing that I can make a choice, I can get all the information, I can monitor as much as possible, and if something for whatever reason doesn't go right, then I can still change that choice. 
the equipment, which was my concern, well, then my loved one is going to, what if they're in a hospital bed and the oxygen and or the bedside potty or any other equipment that is brought in for her, what if she needs this stuff and I decide to change companies? Well, the cool thing about this that I found out is the hospice companies don't own the equipment. They contract that equipment out. So when you contact the new company to let them know, they will order the equipment. They will contact the company to know what the equipment is because everything is marked. It's like barcodes on rental equipment that you would use for any other reason. And the current company would just make that phone call. The equipment is removed. Your loved one is transferred literally from one bed to another if that's even needed because it sometimes could be, especially if you're calling and you're just changing within your area, sometimes that information can just be an exchange on the rental equipment side and they take off this hospice company and put on this one so that on their records, on their side, that transition is made and your loved one doesn't have to change beds and be um, experience any interruption or inconvenience just by transferring. So you're not locked into your choice. You're not locked into anything, regardless. So many doctors, they will opt for home health care before they'll opt in or help you set your loved one up with hospice. And part of that is because they understand what, what home health provides. But when your loved one is, the illness is getting to the point where they're declining and they are reaching a terminal state, no one knows if that's gonna be a 24 hour, 48 hour, 72 hour, six months, no one knows the difference in when that time will be. And so the sooner you can get this started, the longer you'll be able to utilize the benefits, the longer they will utilize the benefits. Home health is more that curative and it's great if your loved one needs that and you're trying to help your loved one reach an improvement, a better state. But when you know your loved one is heading in a direction that is terminal, it's not something that you would choose home health for. At that point, this process of starting hospice and comfort care needs to be decided. I can't speak highly enough because the experience that I had recently with just being able to talk with the chaplain was incredible. I know mom was had access to the hospice chaplain and she was able to talk with them whatever concerns she had between death and dying or just life in general, it made me feel good, gave me peace of mind that mom had that provided for her. And like I said before, there's always going to be decisions all the way down to the end and then some. And so one of the decisions that needed to come up was around what happens when her heart stops? Where do I go with this choice? And some of the options that are available and some of the options that mom discussed made me just panic and feel a lot of anxiety because these are heavy decisions to make. 
If I go this way with one of the decisions, am I the one that's responsible? I felt like that decision of making any changes to a pacemaker would be something that I was causing the end of her life. When I explained this to the chaplain, he pointed out to me right away, absolutely not. Regardless of what changes she requests or what changes are made, that's more of a gift to her to fulfill her wishes and that I in no way am making changes and just answering decisions for her that would cause a death. And of course, reminding me that when it's her time, it's her time. It's not something I can do. It's not something I can ask for or say. It's something that is outside of me. And just having that conversation with him reminded me, okay, I can make this decision. I have all the necessary information. My conscience, conscience has been relieved and he put it in a different perspective to help me go on with making these heavy decisions for mom. That's something that we didn't get the opportunity with dad when he was in the hospital. Trying to keep the hope of your loved one that has an unknown, like his was pneumonia and it was his third time, there was that feeling of hope, like he's going to survive this, he's gonna come out of this, he's done this twice before, there's not a problem. But at some point, when x-rays are taken of lungs and it's more than obvious, waiting to that last moment just didn't seem fair because the shock that hits in that moment in that day, the grief that comes in, it's a lot harder to cope with and deal with at that point in time instead of we knew this was going in this direction so we got services set up in advance. We were proactive about heading in that direction. There is a big difference with that. When I tried to explain this to mom's doctor, the choice was made that we were going to start hospice services, but I needed his approval. I needed his order for the hospice. And his response was, I will only sign the order if you choose the hospice that we go with, the, the company that we represent. At that point in time, I knew it didn't feel comfortable because I didn't like being told my choice. That's just my personality. But come to find out later, that's actually considered illegal because he wanted me to take his choice, which removed a patient bill of rights when it comes to choice. Needless to say, trying to convince me that mom was fine, like she didn't need hospice, she's fine, she's doing great, her heart's wonderful, everything's going well. Failing to mention that instead of seeing her every six months, he's also asked to see her every three months. Hmm. But if she's fine, why are we coming in more frequently than we were before? And if her heart was at 30% functionality and is now down to 20% functionality, why are we waiting longer for that service? 
Then it dawned on me, if mom goes on hospice and he's no longer being able to treat her, he loses a billable patient. And that's another thing to understand, that when you make these choices, and Medicare, most cases if you're of age and you have your Medicare already, hospice is covered through Medicare. There might be some services that are not covered, but it's dependent. It's very dependent on the needs. But I'll just say, majority of your services and equipment and those needs are covered through Medicare. That was a huge relief for me because even when it came down to medications and other things that were already in place, many of you know it's difficult once you get all the medications set up at the pharmacy and the refills or if your loved one's in a community and they are able to take care of all of the refills and the special packaging that their pills are all in one con conveniently packaged envelope that it's not a matter of you having to do anything more than giving hospice the information they need to know and they do the transitions. The medications continued. Nothing is stopped. Some people think that with hospice, they're gonna stop all their medications. And it's not that they are trying to will an end of a person's life. It is that they are trying to provide comfort and quality all the way to the end. So they reassured me, none of her medications would be stopped. Everything would continue as it has. The difference being, she would now have more eyes on her. She would now have more services as far as her counseling and the chaplain and the volunteers, more that would come in and be able to uplift her as much as possible. Because when you think of quality of life, it's how well you want them to spend their days, not how many days they have left anymore. So the sooner you're able to start hospice, the better you and your family will be. The more time you'll have to adapt and go through many of those conversations that may have been put off and Honestly, some of those conversations that are really hard to have with the family, you'll be able to have them with uh, maybe a representative from hospice that will help facilitate those conversations. If your family is in disagreement and there's some problems happening, maybe there's some misunderstandings, those representatives from hospice are able to step in and explain the details and give you the information you need to not, not only so you understand, but you feel comfortable with the next set of decisions or choices or changes that have to be made for your loved one. The misconceptions are the one things that I wish would change because there's so little known about dementia and understood. So when it comes to understanding the stages and knowing when your loved one is in stage six, approaching seven, which is the final stage, the, the medical degeneration of the brain and body, where you definitely need additional services. This is where connecting the two on understanding those changes 
and the decline of those stages and when to bring hospice services in. It is different from so many people and even if you get recommendations from family and friends on what hospice services to use and even if their loved one had a form of dementia, everyone is different. I have spoken to so many different caregivers and their loved ones passed in their mid-60s. I have spoken to others that they have lived with Alzheimer's to their 90s, mid to late 90s. So how your loved one responds is entirely different. Once they are on hospice, they will be evaluated every six months to make sure they still continue to need the service. But if your loved one's declining rapidly, they're most likely gonna continue to qualify. And when I asked, what happens if mom falls and breaks a hip and has to go to the hospital? Because that's always the scenario everybody's worried about, breaking a hip. Or at least that's the one that comes up the most. The quick answer to that is they would get unrolled from hospice. Their insurance benefits kick. They're still on their Medicare insurance that never went away the status would change. They go back to their normal insurance status so that they could be treated. And as soon as they're discharged from the hospital or rehabilitation center, they go back and requalified for hospice yet again because their status most likely has changed and has obviously worsened. That was a relief to me to know that mom would continue to get whatever service she needed and not be in a position where she'd go without just because there's this change of insurance. Because the last thing I want to experience or have her experience is needing something and not getting it because of some oddball regulation through insurance. But this is what makes all of this work. Knowing the details and understanding what your loved one needs on that medical and emotional, physical and spiritual level and what hospice provides, knowing when to bring them in, knowing you have the choice. You can make that choice and decide, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm the one that's seeing my loved one on a regular basis. Maybe that doctor sees them once every three months or once every month even, or maybe once a week for a 30 minute snippet, they may have more, the more they see them, they may have more of an idea. But if they're not seeing them as often and you have been seeing your loved one day in, day out, and you know the diagnosis and you know where it's headed, there's nothing that's gonna stop you from saying, I think it's time. And you can explain that to your doctor. It doesn't have to be a cardiologist or neurologist or any specific type of doctor that gives the order, they can go to their general for a regular checkup and you can explain it to their doctor right then and there. And then you can go through the process with your doctor as far as getting the hospice order. And in some cases, you can contact the hospice company because majority, if not all, hospice companies also have medical directors they can go through a process that would actually help 
to get your loved one approved if for whatever reason their doctors are refusing to provide a hospice order. Going through this is no easier than any other choice you make and like many other things the more you know the more knowledge you have the easier these choices are to be made. They still weigh heavy on my heart but my mind is at more at ease knowing all the details of how this works and what I should be aware of. What starts and what stops? Where do those levels start and stop? And who is required to do what service? Do they piggyback off of each other? And by saying that, I mean, does hospice work with the community staff and vice versa? And that's all unique to every situation and every community and how that works. But knowing this information, it helps me to step in and make those decisions. And it's just one of those things that is obvious to me that hospice is not understood well or seen as the end of life still and not the benefits that they also have is because so many people, when I started to explain that mom is now on hospice, I right away got the, oh, I'm so sorry. And it frustrated me because I wanted to say, mom's not dead yet. Mom's not dead. She's not dying. Okay. So that may sound like a little denial there. <laughs> Mom is in her process end stage. Her body is slowly shutting down. But she's not dying in 24 hours. She's not dying tomorrow. She's not, I mean, God forbid she didn't have a heart attack. But you see what I'm saying. I got so many condolences just by saying mom's on hospice. And I found myself turning around right away to say, well, no, 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 it, it's, it's a good thing. Because what some have heard, that once their loved one goes on hospice, they seem to perk up, they improve. I saw that with mom. As soon as she was on hospice, she seemed to perk up and improve. Why? Because she had so much more interaction than she had prior to. She was given a level of understanding that she knew what she could say yes and no to and feel a sense of I'm in charge again by saying yes for sure certain services or no. Of course, some of those services are checking blood work just for status. She is able to say, no, I don't want my blood drawn anymore. And that's respected doesn't help us knowing details by not having that, but that is respected. And she feels good about that. And that's what matters for me at this point. A few misconceptions I want to kind of point out real quick is one being that once you're on hospice, you can't get aggressive work done anymore. That's not the case because what hospice stands for is comfort. And if there's an a certain surgery or something that needs to get done, it is done. If the patient is wanting it and the patient is needing it, then it can still get done. It's like I mentioned, they go through the whole insurance change of getting them off of hospice, letting them do their procedure, and then 
they would requalify. But that doesn't mean just because you put your loved one on hospice that they can no longer have major procedures done. Uh, another one is once you choose a company, you're stuck with it. You are not. You can always choose a company and change your mind within two weeks or you can change your mind within six months or however you decide. Even if you choose a company and you get them set and in 48 hours you've decided I'd rather not, it's still your choice. Please keep that in mind. Hospice services and choosing providers is your right to choose. Also, hospice does not own their own equipment. Majority of the companies out there do not own their own equipment. So if your concern of switching companies is the change of equipment and what's in place, don't let that be your deterrent because they know what needs to be done. The new company that you're seeking knows what needs to be done. And so all you again have to do is make the choice and they make it happen. Another misconception is people who have DNRs do not resuscitate. Some people are afraid that if their loved one has a DNR and they transition to hospice, that that means they're not going to save their loved one. And that's not true. If you think about this, when a brain is deteriorating from dementia specifically, it's no longer able to tell the rest of the body how to heal or to heal at all. So if your loved one is in life or death situation and CPR is performed, when it's done correctly, you can expect ribs to be broken. Your loved one will be in far worse status if that takes place. So it's not that hospice is going to allow your loved one to die. They are respecting the legal right that your loved one asked for as a DNR. And so it's not that they are going to die once they go to hospice. They're going to receive the comfort care for hospice. If you want to help your loved one go through the end of this, and understand they have a DNR, they sign the DNR, they want that, then don't discourage yourself by going through this hospice situation because having, having CPR done correctly is not gonna leave them in a better situation than if you just acknowledge they have a DNR and let them go. I just want you to be able to understand that hospice is not scary. Hospice does not mean that end of life. Now, if you wait too long and you go by your doctor's um, advice of they're fine, but you kind of feel like there's something a little bit more here than just being fine, especially if they're fine in, in the doctor's office, but at home you see something different day after day, that's follow your gut and at least, at the very least, look into the companies, start doing some of that research, start asking family and friends what companies they've used, what companies they have had a good experience with. Because one more thing that I would encourage you to do is once you finally make that choice and you start doing your research, add to your list of research. If you choose the company, turn around and you can go online, go on and Google or the glassdoor.com 
or even through Indeed.com. And you can also take that company to find employee reviews. There might be some, I was skeptical on some of the companies that I was finding glowing reviews. And after reading through several of them, some of them seemed too vague. And I thought, okay, those are planted customer reviews. And some of them were very heartfelt and clearly detailed that someone actually experienced a good service. It made me feel good. But when you go to that company on glassdoor.com or indeed.com and you get to see the other side of those reviews from the employees, that's one of the things that I did for mom because I realized if I'm seeing employee reviews that are basically explaining what I would call the disgruntled employee, overworked to extremely high caseload, long hours, regardless of pay inequalities or issues. I don't want that type of group, that type of environment, that type of toxic energy to come around mom. So that was another deterrent for me as I researched and found and kind of found my own gauge of the referrals I received. What you know, that's great that they experienced a wonderful time. And even others that maybe at that time that they experienced something bad, that might have been a different care team involved, a different uh, group of people that are maybe by chance no longer there because I don't believe once a bad apple, always a bad apple. But once you get into the details, I mean, you can probably call every company that you would like to interview and ask some very specific questions. And some of them may not have all the answers for you. Some of them may not want to answer those questions. So when you go and you look online and you find these other employee reviews, you're going to get some of the, the a different perspective that you wouldn't get on cold calling these companies to ask, what's your average caseload for your hospice uh, providers. So keep those things in mind as you go through and try to make your pros and cons list as you go. Either it's for each and every company that you go through or file it away and keep that information ready for when it is needed. But it's never too early to look into that information. Keep that in mind because when the time is needed, You'd rather have had that research and you can pull that information out than to be in that emergency situation, panicked and unable to make good decision or feel comfortable with the decisions you've made overall. This is never an easy, never an easy thing. Each stage we go through, each step we do for our loved one, it is yet another challenge. It is more information that we have to learn as caregivers. It is more of that acknowledgement that you the caregiver have become your loved one's advocate and it doesn't end stage by stage it just continues and you're in a new environment to where you have to learn yet another area and so i encourage you to look into hospice sooner than later and learn that information thank you for taking the time with me today i hope this gave you a lot more food for thought until next time be proactive. Take care, everybody.
Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalizelcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media, LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.